All right, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. When we start, uh, very briefly, I just want to look at these past few weeks together um, and do a, just a brief recap of the journey we've already taken over the past few weeks. Um, we had our elder, Ken, Kendall, speak a few weeks ago, and he spoke to us about the importance of a sound biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit and the, how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer as well as in the church. Just a couple weeks ago as well, we had, a, uh, we had Josh speak to us about the big picture and the, the fact that the big picture points to uh, something much greater, and that's something we know as the gospel. And then this past week, we had Cody share with us uh, the importance of seeing God and his gospel at work around us, even in the darkest corners of our society. But the questions I want to propose this morning and ask this morning are, where are we amidst our society? Where are we in the big picture? And why does it seem as, we, as if we've missed the true person and power of the Holy Spirit, which once set gatherings apart from the rest of society and drew in half of an empire before Constantine even took the throne as Caesar? Why are we missing from the mission we are equipped to and commanded to fulfill? As we entertain those questions, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, King of the universe, high and mighty, I, Father, it is privilege and honor to even come before you. Father, to take note of the cross, to take note of the gospel, the way you've declared it into our lives as believers. Father, I pray this morning that you'd give us clarity and give us understanding that you'd lay upon our hearts conviction. Father, that you would call us to repentance in small and big areas of our life. Father, that you'd grant, uh, Father, I plead that you'd grant me boldness this morning to speak the words you've put before me and, and, and the boldness for each of us to be a witness to our neighbors. Father, as we come before you transparent and vulnerable, We plead that you would speak through your word this morning, not through me, not through me. Remove me out of the way, Lord, as we just look to you and we seek to point all things back to you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 8 is where we are this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. Acts chapter 8, starting right off the top, verse 1. Give a little background. If you look at the prior chapter in Acts 7, we find this man, this man by the name of Stephen who is a believer. He's been called after uh, some accusations to appear before the Council of Jerusalem and give testimony in which he shares the gospel to the Council in Jerusalem. And we see that he would also become 
the first martyr recorded in our scriptures for the faith. A young Saul, a young man by the name of Saul would approve of this, and that's where we pick up in verse 1. Let's read this together. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We ought to take note of that. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house where he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, take note of this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, I want us to see in verse 1 that the church was scattered all except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. There in verse 3, I want you to see that it was both men and women that were in prison for the faith. It was known that they were of the faith. And they were in prison for doing that. For being known for the faith. And in verse 4, those believers who were scattered went to Judea and Samaria and they did what? Preach the word. They shared the gospel. It was the church equipped with the gospel and sent out that shared the gospel. And the idea that it takes super spiritual individuals to evangelize is actually one of Gnostic origin. Gnosticism is something that the Apostle John had to fight through his writings, for instance. This idea that one can outrank another in spiritual level. And Philip, we see this in verse 5, that the writer of Acts give us, gives us an active example immediately in verse 5 of this guy named Philip, who, by the way, not an apostle. But let's read about what, how, how the Lord used Philip. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So Philip proclaimed the gospel exactly where he went, and guess what the result was? Joy. Don't our neighbors need some joy? And Philip wouldn't be the only to deliver it. If you flip forward to Acts chapter 11, verse 19, you hear about this same group of people that were scattered. Acts 11, 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This was the church, both men and women, bearing and proclaiming the gospel to the communities they had been pressured into, but where are we in ours? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, 
verse 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul would show us in his letters to to the Ephesians as well as the Corinthians that, um, that there is a picture of the dynamic and work and mission of the church. Okay, we're going to see this in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11 through 14. Let's read that together. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now I want to call our, back, call, call our attention back to the video. Okay? Pastor David Platt and Pastor Francis Chan being vulnerable <laughs> about their weakness in, in, in personal evangelism and in, in engaging in that, you know. Uh, they're talking about their hesitancies and their fears in that. Why, why did I want to show you that video? To, to, to show you that even pastors struggle in this field. So as much as I am sharing this message with you, <laughs> it has wrestled with me all week. It has wrestled with me all week. Can't tell you how many times I just kind of looked in the notes, dug around, and fought. As Cody knows, I stayed up till three one night dealing with it. <laughs> so I want you to see that it's 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 definitely on your pastors, right? Stan, Josh, Cody, Andy, and I to model to model personal evangelism, to model the ministry before you and your children. Yes, we are to do that. But guess what? We are also called here in Ephesians 4 to do what? To equip. To equip you for the ministry that you have been given for the building, building up of the body of Christ regardless of the context you are in. Many of you, many of you have a home. Many of you have a workplace. Many of you, some of you may be in schools. You live in a community. That's your context. And we are called to equip and train you up to engage in ministry in those areas. If you turn back just a chapter, to chapter 3 of Ephesians, yes, we'll be moving around a little bit today. <laughs> primarily, primarily between Ephesians, the Corinthians, and close out in Romans. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 through 12 we see that this is part of God's plan. This is part of God's plan. And we can trust in it. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 12 reads this. The Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul now. Pay attention to a little bit of this first verse, for instance. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power working of his power that theme will rise back up a little bit later in the message this morning to me though I am the very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Certainly going to be talking about boldness as well this morning. But I want to call our attention to a couple of things here, okay? Verse there in verse 8, Paul considers himself the very least of all the saints. Well, yes, we should certainly have an attitude of humility. I want that to encourage you. <laughs> Paul, think of how we esteem him. Okay, just think of how we esteem him. I'm the very least of all the saints, he says. That should be encouraging to us. He reckon, he's recognizing that the believers surround him are fellow heirs in Christ, and we're going to read about that too today. But secondly, I want you to see the plan. What's God's plan? What is God's plan? That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. But how so? How so? Well, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read a little bit about how God intends to reveal His wisdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, I want you to mark 2 Corinthians 5 because we will be returning to the chapter a little bit later. So just, just kind of keep up with that. In verse 17, follow with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But the question is, how are we able? How are we able? How is the believer even able to bear such a work for the glory of God? God. Well, the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how. I'm going to turn back to Ephesians. <laughs> we'll jump around a little Bible drill this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. I misplaced my notes. Let me just. 
Okay. All right. In him you also, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, were marked, were marked, were sealed, were marked. The word is stragizo in the Greek, sealed or marked, with the promised Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He's our guarantee. We've been marked. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Maybe some of you are familiar with this passage. You don't have to turn there. I'll dive in here. But 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 reads this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We've been marked. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as believers. We are temples. We are being dwelt in by the Holy Spirit. And catch that phrase carefully. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. Not only does the Holy Spirit dwell within us, but he also seeks to manifest himself through us. In 1 Corinthians, if you move forward to chapter 12, in verse, we're in chapter 6, move on to 12, look at verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Verse 4. And then on. So, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each of us, as believers, have been given a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. Now, I could list and describe quite a few. You know, we could talk about utterance, prophecy, edification, teaching, encouragement, love, faith. But I'm going to leave that to Pastor Stan over the next few weeks, because he's about to jump into a series about these very awesome gifts that the Holy Spirit equips us with. And regarding the Holy Spirit in our lives, we should not question His power or significance considering our identity in Christ. Shouldn't. Romans chapter 8. I do want everyone to turn to Romans chapter 8. The reason why is because I want to take I want you to take this passage home with you this week. I want you to consider. I want you to marvel at it. I challenge you to repent in the spaces that you're being called to. But also just be encouraged and comforted by the truth found in this passage. Romans chapter 8, 9 through 17. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let that truth sit on you for a minute. Do we, do we stop and consider the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and seeks to manifest himself through us? Continuing, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also, that, in order that we may also be glorified with him. I want you to take that passage home with you this week. I want you to marvel at God. I want you to marvel at God as you reflect on that, as you consider the truth of that passage right there. I want you all to listen carefully. I heard a pastor recently say this beautifully. What's God's plan? It's you. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Being equipped and empowered for the ministry that God has given you in your context. Where you are at. God's plan is you. We can trust in God's plan. We can trust in it. But unfortunately, much of the Western churches got lost in the waves. A recent study from the Barner Research Group tells us that 47% of American millennials, those born from 84 to 1998, ages 20 to 34, believe evangelism to be wrong. To be wrong. To be offensive. Yeah, the gospel can be offensive. But something that God has had to lay upon my heart and needs to lay upon each of our hearts is that how can we claim to know and have the love of God in our lives and speak that upon our lips when we're not willing to warn those we claim to love. Those we see each day. When we don't have the consideration to share with those who are going to fall into wrath if we don't. 
we don't share and allow God to blossom. His word and use his word. Guys, our, our success in evangelism, we, we don't save, the Holy Spirit saves. Holy Spirit redeems. He, he does the work. He's been promised. He's been sealed upon your life. He'll manifest. He'll work the word, the spirit and truth. How many times we hear that phrase in our prayers or the word or our song? It's because they work together. All we have to do is obey. Be faithful. Speak up. God will do the work. Our success is our obedience. That's all. But what brought us to the point? What brought us to the point? This morning I'd like to propose three possibilities for the disappearance of the church on the Western Front. That we are called to combat through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, we have a lack of gospel understanding. Many of us would be very surprised and uh, fairly heartbroken to discover just how many people claiming to follow Christ have no idea how to communicate the gospel message, not even in the most basic form, or yet alone understand its implications upon both the non-believer and the believer. I know you've heard it. Even believers need the gospel. <laughs> we need to be reminded of it every day. I'll repeat that mantra until I go. <laughs> we need the gospel every day. I want to be reminded every day of the gospel. But there are many who don't understand that. Don't understand that. Number two, we are experiencing an identity crisis. These really fall hand in hand in so many ways. Number one, number two, there are some of us who simply do not know who we are in Christ. There's false teaching and worldly deception spread so do the lie and uncertainty among those seeking to follow Christ. Intentional discipleship has often been misunderstood, kind of gets lost in the wind. I've got plenty of testimony to testify of loving, meaningful churches and fellowships that I've known, that I've experienced. That in reflection, I just I realized that Discipleship was just kind of lost. It wasn't intended. It just kind of came to be. Who are we going to be? How are we going to show up? And number three. Other possibility is that we're just too comfortable. We're, we're comfortable. Quite simply, there are some who are fine with where we're at. There are those who are faithful in church attendance, maybe even with a pew marked for themselves. In some cases, the most urgency they ever show for the gospel to any amount in their lives is to invite them for a high attendance Sunday to their fellowship. And if honest with themselves, they're only interested in what they can gain from worship and a sermon, and they only interject when they don't like something. You may know someone like that. We may be someone like that. I told you to mark 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's turn there. 
at two verses. We're going to step back just a few verses to verse 13, 2 Corinthians 5. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. William M. Punchon, he was an English Methodist divine of the 1800s. He, he looked at this passage and, and prosed this, that the apostles' argument is this. Quotes up there. That's awesome. The apostles' argument is this. None of us has life in himself. If we have life at all, we live by imparted life. We live because life has been drafted into our spirits from on high. Then it is not our own. It belongs to him who has purchased it for us with his own blood. And we are bound to employ it in his service and for his glory. In other words, how dare we? How dare we cheapen the work of Christ by living as if salvation's a ticket? For our entertainment and for our every whim to be served. Salvation was giving, given to us for something totally different. Salvation was given to us for His service and His glory. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 puts it this way. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Worship with that. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given to Him a gift that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. All things, including your salvation, are from Him and through Him and to Him. And it's my prayer that we never forget that. My prayer we never forget that. But if you're one that's comfortable, you've been taking it easy for comfort and repentance, today's the day that I'm calling you to repent. If that's the case, if that is the case, this is a day that we can do that. We need to seek the Lord. We need to trust that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will manifest Himself through our lives to the glory of God the Father. It will be the supernatural boldness and witness that results from our faithful prayers that will bring the church out of the proverbial shadows here in West. But before we can begin this earnest pursuit, I believe that it is important that we take a moment just to evaluate ourselves. I've got a couple of questions for you. A couple of questions to consider this week. First question. 
Are we reflecting the truth with our lives that salvation is given to us for the glory of God? Are we reflecting the truth with our lives that salvation is given to us for the glory of God? Secondly, are we trusting and continually awed by the promise and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Do we trust that? Are we awed by that? Do we marvel in that? Again, I point you to Romans chapter 8, that passage. Take that home with you. Marvel. Marvel in Him. And my prayer is that these questions will stir a deeper affection for and devotion to Christ. And that we'll be brought to our knees in prayer for the supernatural boldness to make disciples in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, and our communities.